Welcome in to the 30 for 30 podcast, 30 for 30 club podcast. I'm John Thorpe, joined as always by Bobby Nemeth. Uh, it is September 11th, 2022. Just wanted to take a quick moment to recognize um, our thoughts with the the families who were um, affected by 9-11 21 years ago, first responders in New York, and uh, just take a, memor- a moment to uh, remember all the the difficulty and tragedy that those families and those individuals went through um, also in other areas of the country that day. Um, 21 years ago, I still still remember pretty vividly. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was in fifth grade fifth grade and I didn't really understand what was going on and they end up I remember we had like a social studies book and in that book was the twins the twin towers and for whatever reason when I was younger you know I'm obviously a huge Yankees fan I really like loved the twin towers and I remember this girl sitting next to me I was like this is the twin towers these are amazing buildings in New York City and I remember coming in that day and that girl turns to me and she said hey you know those buildings they um they just blew up. They got just got destroyed. Hmm. I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, mm-hmm. And then sure enough, you know, we end up spending, uh, I think, the majority of the day. Like, we didn't, we didn't actually have class. We went to like the library and all these, you know, 11, 10 year olds watching the news and just dumbfounded in what they're seeing. I remember going home and watching the news as a, as a kid, and uh, it was overwhelming. Uh, and I can't believe that's it's been 21 years. And that was just such an, it was just a, such an incredible, not in a good way, but really like the magnitude of it. It was such an incredible time uh, of my childhood and, and for our country. Yeah, that's interesting. You you still got sent to school. I guess, were you an hour ahead of uh, West Coast time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mountain time. Okay. Yeah, because we, on the, I was growing up in Oregon and we actually, I think, got they uh called everyone said stay home yeah because it was kind of right um you know since we are three hours behind what was going on there and it was early in the morning i mean it'd been early enough i don't i I don't think i i don't think i went to school that day it would have been like six in the morning when that plane hit the tower so we would have more than enough time but like literally not as a joke like they don't cancel school in montana no matter what is going on there could be like a top tier hurricane blowing through and they'd be like, yeah, school's, school's still going on. So in the event I, of yeah. a national attack and tragedy, terrorist attack, they're still like, yeah, it's, it's come to school. But we didn't really have class <laughs> that day anyway. And I think we end up leaving early. Yeah. So anyway, on lighter topics, uh, Bobby, how was your week? What were some of the highlights? How was my week? A lot of studying. My exam for my class unlocked this weekend, so I spent a lot of time doing practice assignments and things like that. So a lot of time coding. And then uh, my my partner, she uh, went to Philadelphia for the weekend, so I've had the last three or so days just living the bachelor life. And by that, I mean just absolutely being a potato and doing absolutely nothing. And uh, so that's it's been pretty nice. The Yankees have had a decent week, which is good. Um, oh, you know, for the first time in my life, I went, uh, went to work out with my brother and we, I deadlifted it and squatted for the first time. Like I do work out, but I, I do have, we, like we have a small apartment gym and it has like a leg press and I try to do some Bulgarian squats and goblet squats, but 
never really been in a position to actually have a full barbell and do legitimate deadlifts and squats. So it was the first time I did that and it absolutely destroyed my body. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, feeling it, feeling it for days after. Yep. It is. It's a, it's a lot of work. Like I sweat a lot more doing that than mm-hmm. I do any other lifting exercise. I mean, you're like, essentially activating most muscles in your body while you're doing it. Yeah. I have, I have memories of last summer doing it in no AC in the basement of UW's rec center. <laughs> that oh. sounds awful. And masks too. We had to wear masks at that. I'm time. surprised so you was, made it out. It was pretty gross. It sounds disgusting. <laughs> we're dedicated though. Good. You have to be if you're going to get through that. Good. John, what about you? How was your week? My week was good. Um, it was Labor Day, so I had three days off, and I went to the Oregon coast on Monday. Oh, that's right. And it was beautiful. It was like 67 and sunny, which, for those of you who don't know, like that's about as hot as it gets on the Oregon Yours coast. Yours is going to get. So like, if, if you are at the Oregon coast and you don't have to wear a sweatshirt, you're doing really good. Um, so I had a lot of fun just doing a day trip. It's about like basically an hour from my house. So... I've never lived that close to the the true beach before. So that was nice to know that like we can just do a spontaneous day trip out or, you know, a weekend out. And the weather was way too good to pass up for the Oregon coast. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Most of the time is overcast and like 52 degrees, even in July. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, normal week of work and Friday went out to Toki, which is a restaurant in Portland. That's like one of the hottest restaurants recently in the city. Um, and Bobby, Bobby's been there, of course, of course, if there's, if there's a popular restaurant in Portland, he's already been there. True. Um, so it was good. Had great, uh, great food and conversation with friends. And then, uh, yesterday went to the Timbers game with my cousin, who's a, actually a soccer referee. Oh, He's cool. Played, pl- played high school soccer and varsity soccer and then has refed for the last like, I don't know, 15 years. Um, so it was cool to like, we were just breaking down, analyzing the game at like a very deep level. I'm curious. It was a lot of fun for me. I'm curious. How, how did you guys analyze um, players laying on the ground for five minutes at a time and not moving? How did you? Yeah, we. Was it? yesterday wasn't too yesterday wasn't too bad like people did go down and like you know do the whole grab their knee kind of crap but they didn't stay down too long um but yeah he was saying as a ref like you have to constant you have to go up and kind of like obviously evaluate if it's a real injury to the best of your ability but like if it's clear it's not or somebody's being dramatic one of the hardest parts of being a ref is like getting them up off the ground, like having them stand up. Cause like, you're not <laughs> like, you're not going to drag them up, you know, but like you gotta, cause the other team's going to be yelling in your ear being like, come on ref, let's go. Like, let's play the game. Clock's rolling, you know, um, just you to- totally understandable, especially if that team is uh, behind and they're mm. trying to make up time. Uh, so he said, yeah, it, it's just like you, you have to be, um, you have to be on it, like get over right away and get them up off the ground so that the game continues going on. I love that soccer, even on the highest level, still has kind of like a WWE kind of vibe going on with it. 
you know what I mean? Like there's this acting and drama that they try to portray. It's like a performance. I I don't know if there's any other sport that has it to that, even close to that level. What's funny is yesterday, the team that was the opponent that was doing it more was actually trailing. And so when they go down and they're all dramatic about their injury, for those of you don't know, like the clock is rolling the whole time. So they're actually hurting their own chances by going down yeah, good point. and not getting up off the ground. Good so that's point. what was kind of odd is like, and so all the Timbers fans were just like, whatever, like you just lay there. We don't care. Like you're just wasting your own time. Like, um, cause the Timbers had the lead the whole game. So, or the whole second half, I should say. Anzi just texted me. She's on her Uber and her Uber on the way to the airport heading back home. See my Hanzi in a little bit. Excited for that. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, Timbers was great. Packed stadium. They are now for, uh, fifth in the standings. So if they continue to win their last couple games, they will be in the playoffs. Or Seattle. Or in Where's the, the Sounders in this? Seattle's probably not going to make the playoffs. Oh, it's really? One of the f- few years where Seattle's kind of. That is odd. They're always good. Falling apart. Um, so yeah, and the Timbers were in the championship last year. So. Um, it, they should be in the playoffs again, like with the amount of consistency they've had on their roster. So it was a lot of fun. And you're becoming um, a football fan. Yeah, it's my second game. Be a hooligan. Probably going to go to a third. We have a lot of sports going on right now. I was looking yeah, at do. my Twitter feed today, and it's very jarring because it's like, <laughs> you know, the sure. same the same people that I follow, like. One day they're tweeting a lot about, let's say, the WNBA playoffs. Next day, it's all about college football. And then the next day, it's all NFL. It's like, whoa, this is like, this is too much. <laughs> um, so the NFL kicked off today. I haven't watched any, but apparently it's been a chaotic day. That's my understanding. For the NFL, I've been watching I watched, anything. You know what? I didn't even see the final score. I was watching the Steelers. I'm to look at the final. They like blocked a field goal, right? Yeah. So I was watching the Steelers Bengals game. Steelers went in the whole game. Steelers won too, in OT. So Steelers were in the whole game. Bengals had um, they drove down, and they had a turnover. On I was actually I think it was a was it an interception. I think they had an interception, something on the goal line. Oh no no they did have a turnover on downs at the goal line within two minutes. And um, Steelers got the ball back. But then there was a personal foul on Jamar Chase that pushed the Steelers 15 yards forward out of essentially their own red zone, gave him some space. And um, so you're thinking that's probably the game. Bengals only have two timeouts left. There's a minute 50 left. But then first play was a run and Najee Harris gets injured. It's the Steelers running back. And so that kills the clock and it saves the Bengals from having to use a timeout. Because if there's an injury, it's an automatic timeout and doesn't get charged to a team. So immediately the clock stops. Nobody has to use a timeout. The second play was a pass for whatever God, re- like whatever reason. It was incomplete, so immediately stops the clock. And then they stopped them on third down. So the Bengals end up getting the ball back with like a minute 30 when it really, they should have got the ball back with like 40 seconds left. And they were able to march back down, score a touchdown as time expired to tie the game because it was 20 to 14. All they have to do is kick the extra point, and it was blocked. So they sent it to overtime. Steelers end up winning in overtime. So 
that's the only game I watched, but that's the craziest game of the day. Some of the other I scores. Feel like you don't see blocked uh, field goals or PATs Mm-mm. very often. In no, NFL. and you I see guess it in college occasionally. I guess but. the big reason, probably why it happened, is that their long snapper was injured uh, earlier that game, and so they had to put in a backup who was slower. He got the ball to the snapper or to the the placeholder, but it was really slow, and it allowed Pittsburgh to. Um, push in further and to break free to block that field goal. I'm not really sure if that would have mattered because the guy that blocked it was absolutely untouched and just sprinted straight through and dove through. Now, again, if the snap would have happened faster and placed faster, the field goal would have got off before the guy maybe have gotten there, but he really had a clear lane to get there. So I really feel like it wasn't necessarily the long snapper's fault. I think it was just a breakdown and, and blocking and coverage. I will say like, even though it's pretty rare in the NFL, um, the I remember the Seahawks days of the Legion of Boom. They would put all those guys on special teams for field goals, and they did block a good amount from my recollection. Like I, I have vivid imagery of like Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman blocking field goals. Yeah, I mean, um, that's maybe you don't remember, but I, I, I mean, remember I, that like they wasn't like I wasn't paying it. attention to Legion of Boom. But the Seahawks certainly are not my favorite team. Yeah, those were good days, the early days of their uh, Russell Wilson's time. Anyway, college football, I did not get a chance to watch much college football yesterday. Um, But a lot of upsets, like a pretty crazy week two. Um, Marshall beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame was ranked like eighth or something. Six. Six. Um. I tweeted this, but I always feel like Notre Dame is an overrated program. It's just yeah. like yes. they always are ranked somewhere between five and 15 every year. And they. I just don't know that they deserve it. And they like, always end the season, not always, but a lot of times they and then they end the season unranked. Yeah, I mean, they get ranked based like, off their name more than anything. Yeah. I, I feel like there's just an aura around Notre Dame that is like an elite company that I don't know if it's really earned. Maybe I'm ruffling feathers saying they that, have a but... they have a story history, of course, but we're talking about the course of the last 20 years. Yes, they made a national title game and they got their asses absolutely whooped. So I, <laughs> I really haven't proven themselves to be a dominant program in college football over the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, Wazoo beat Wisconsin, which I don't think anyone was seeing that. No. Um, Wazoo kind of struggled a little bit against Idaho last week and then played a ranked Wisconsin team, a very different opponent um, on the road. And apparent, I didn't watch it, but apparently it was kind of an ugly game for both sides. Um, a lot of turnovers and stuff, but Wazoo just kind of out ugly Wisconsin. That's the right way to say it. No, I think no, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Texas almost beat Alabama, like you mentioned. I really wish they would have. I think but, we um, all do. <laughs> we all do to see Alabama go down to an unranked team. I'm um, granted it's I Texas like, and it was in Texas. Still an unranked team. I feel like last year there was a game that Alabama almost lost as well. Like maybe it was against the Auburn game that like went to overtime. But like they've. I feel like they've had some close calls and they've they've gotten lucky over the last two years sometimes. Sometimes, like, but they're maybe still... their record shouldn't be as as good as it has been. Well, they, they still have had 
losses here and there that they probably shouldn't have accrued, they still end up winning yeah. a national title. One way or another, yeah. Alabama is going to be one of those four teams at the end of the year. They'll make it happen. I think my, my favorite upset was Appala- Appalachian State over yeah. Texas A&M because like Texas A&M hasn't had a lot of success on the field, but they have had they had the number one recruiting class last year. They've been in like the top 10 recruiting classes the last couple of years. And now with NIL, they've just been pumping out money to these high schoolers. And so it's kind of funny that like all that money bought them was a loss to Appalachian State. Number and nine. Number nine in the country, they're kind too. Of, they're kind of a... I know it's early to say this, but like they're a reminder that just because you have a bunch of five-star players doesn't tra- always translate to on-field success. I you mean, know, one thing I want to talk Oregon about... Oregon is exhibit A of that against Georgia last week. Like, Oregon had a top 20 recruiting class for the last several years and got didn't absolutely pan out. whooped. Yeah, didn't pan out. One thing I want to talk about with Appalachian State I want to point out is that this was an FCS school football championship series. It's technically D1, like, AA, just, like, five years ago. And now they're beating a top 10 SEC team. And they've been decent. Like, I think it's really impressive. And it says a lot about that program that they could be so dominant in the FCS. Transfer over to the BCS or whatever they call it now. And in a matter of five years, be a team that uh, is not, you know, you can't, they're not a doormat. You can't walk over them. Like, they will compete. And I'm not saying that Appalachian State is a top 25 team or anything like that. But. It definitely shows that they can compete. They lost week one. They scored 62 points. They lost to North Carolina, 64 to 62. Absolutely wild. And they come out and they beat AM 17 to 14. So, like, it seems like they can do it on both ends. So, I think yeah. it's really impressive uh, with their program to be able to transfer up to essentially D1 and then still be a decent program all within five years. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, rags to riches story. Um, BYU beat Baylor, and why that's BYU was ranked uh, lower than Baylor, but they were still ranked. But why it's significant is they were without their two best wide receivers. So I kind of wrote them off in that game of like, well, you know, when you're missing two impact guys, but to beat Baylor. And it sets up a really interesting game against Oregon next week. Yeah, Oregon's um, not looking good. Well, yesterday they did, but it was Eastern Washington. Yeah, that doesn't count. It's an FCS. They beat Eastern Washington like seventy something to fourteen. That's an FCS. Um, they got their asses yeah. whooped by Georgia, and they face actual competition. They got their asses whooped. BYU will be a really interesting test. Yeah, I'll um, be. That's a better matchup now. Oregon has had like the most polarizing performance so far. Like one week they lose by 46, the next week they win by like 60. Against an FCS school. Very let's, let's please temper that a little bit. Okay. I'm just saying. It wasn't it, like it was a pa- it was a conference different. game they won by like you know what I mean? Like Well, Eastern has been one of the best FCS schools the last decade. It's like true. They, I mean, I'll and they had a that. lot of they they have a lot of pride. They're an old team with a lot of returning starters i'm just saying but yes also go grizz we're talking about eastern washington go grizz some people will catch that uh and then it wasn't really an upset because the beeves were favored but um 
Oregon State beat Fresno State, which again is another Fresno State's FCS. Mm, no, I don't. Anyway, think they are. not non-power five. Um, who's been really good the last few years and beat Pac-12 opponents as recently as last year. Um, and the Beavers have just been awful on the road the last couple of years, and they finally, finally got like a a quality road win in, um, at the beginning of the season. So they're now two and L and now like the PAC 12 looks kind of open for grabs, you know, like UW hasn't really had a legitimate opponent yet. So we can't say what they are, but like Wazoo USC don't know what Oregon is <laughs> like, I USC, I feel like it's more... the highest ranked. I haven't seen. I thought they were the highest ranked in Pac-12. I think they are. Uh, Utah did lose their first week, so like that. That it's kind of setting up like a who is the best team in the Pac-12. Like usually we have a sense by now, but this year I feel like it's a little more. I wide mean, open. it's two weeks in. You know, give <clears> it five <throat> weeks and we'll see. We'll see once they start playing each other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, that's all I had on college football. So. Everybody, I'm sure, is very happy. Football's back. I mean, it's America's sport. Me and John are very much baseball people and basketball. So it doesn't have as big of an impact on us. But we're sports fans nonetheless. It's something we pay attention to. So something we like to talk about. Just the big stories. We're definitely not going to dive deep onto football topics and things like that. But something to mention. Yeah. So baseball news. Uh, first thing I saw this morning was Albert Pujols is now at 697 home runs, which is fourth all time in MLB history. He's behind um, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron, Henry Aaron, and Barry <laughs> Harry <laughs> Harry Hans, <laughs> Babe Ruth. <laughs> Um, I, I was mixing Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth, (laughs) Barry Ruth. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, Barry, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, and now Albert Pujols, who just passed up a rod on that list. He needs to hit three more home runs to get to 700. And I think we talked about it maybe close to a month ago when he started Mm -hmm. heating up Yeah, and you were like, no, no way he's getting there. And now it could happen. Like, yeah. I, I'm not sure on the exact amount of games left, but if he continues on the pace that he's on, he would get it. Well, he's been on a crazy pace. I think he's hit 10 or 12 home runs in the last month. And for any player, that's a hell of a month. That's a really good month. When you think about Let that, alone that's somebody who it's is a 60 home age. run pace for a season. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he had six home runs the first three months of the season, and then all of a sudden he's just like, yeah. I found my power swung. Like, it's crazy, especially his age, that he's, I mean, he's hitting cleanup in that lineup right now. This is a division-leading Cardinals team. He's hitting cleanup right now. I don't know. I don't know. Is there a conspiracy here? Do you think they're just giving it to him? We were speculating. Yeah, we were speculating in our chat. Are they just lobbing him? Right. You know. So every time I watch a home run... By Pujols, I'm really analyzing the pitch that was thrown. I'm like, oh, what, Does it, it what like? do you think? You know, honestly, transparently, I the pitches that I've seen haven't been, you know, they're not hanging sliders. Like some of them have been located pitches. One of the home runs that Pujols hit was a fastball as eyes. 
I mean, that certainly isn't a BP pitch, and he still hit it out. So I just think he's locked in, and he's got a goal in mind, and he's just like, I'm going to swing for the fences, and if I see a fastball, I'm fucking swinging hard, and it's working. Yeah, and the Cardinals have enough breathing room sure. to make the playoffs that they're, you know, if he strikes out four times in one game, doesn't it's matter. Not a big deal. Doesn't matter. They got a hefty yeah. lead now in that division. They're going to cruise to that title. So might as well put him clean up, get him more at bats, put him line up every day and just see what can happen. And I mean, at the rate that he's been going, three home runs now seems like, yeah, of course. He's got roughly 20 games left, I think, in the season. Three home runs. So if he can get a home run every whatever six, seven games, he's going to make it. You got to think that he probably is going to do it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So big congrats and shout out to him. He might get it. It would be kind of heartbreaking if he finished at 699 or something. Yeah. But uh, maybe maybe the last game of the season, uh, the opponent will just say, you know what? Throw, throw a position it. player in there, you know, <laughs> just give yeah. it to him. Um, rule changes were made official this week. Yes. We talked about these, I think twice on this show, so we, we don't have to go super deep on them, but three rule changes got signed off on. So larger bases, that's going to translate to more stolen bases, banning of the shift, and then a 15 second pitch clock when there's no runners on base. I am pro two of these anti one, which one, John? Which one are I'm you anti-banning the shift? Shocked. It's not ban the shift. We don't have to get into it again. But my my overall philosophy is that, you know, you should be encouraging teams to innovate and set their defense in a way that, you know, is studying the opponent and rewarding teams that are watching film and understand who they're going up against and how best to minimize their offense the way that they do in football the way that they do in basketball do you every wanna, other do you want to bring that into it there's a reason they don't allow the defensive players to line up on the other side of the ball there's a reason that big man can't just stand in the post for 20 seconds isn't there a three second violation john isn't that a thing in the nba it is it doesn't get called very often but, but it's uh, there right i I don't think that that's the same thing. It totally is. It's giving yourself a defensive advantage or offensive. I'm talking about the NBA, but it's giving yourself a big advantage against the other team that kind of can be unfair, depending on how you look at it. The batter has the freedom to swing for whatever side of the field they can. There is nothing. This is a can of worms. The, this the is a can of worms. Of their <laughs> we could dive in and talk <laughs> 50 minutes about this. So we're going to save everybody's time and say that I am pro banning the shift. John is not. Yes. So the uh, but what's funny is Bobby called me an old man for my take, which is completely the opposite, because this is actually a tra- like kind of a traditionalist's uh, rule change saying we need to take baseball back to its pre-analytics days i don't think that's the reason you're an old man is because you don't like change you like you like what you like and then that's it like you're not willing to adapt off of things it's a change you're not willing to adapt off of things and to change what's happening i baseball needs to change and like even if you make a change and it's bad if they ban okay if they ban the shift and then they decide 
you know what, we don't like this. We need to go back. And then they say, it's fine. I'd be fine with that too. I'm willing to make changes to grow the game because that's what we need to do. Baseball is not dying by any means, but it's certainly not the most popular sport in America and its popularity is diminishing. So Major League Baseball has to figure out how do we speed up the game? How do we add in more offense? How do we make it more exciting for the viewers in the seats and on the other side of the TV? How do we do that? These are the changes that need to happen. And so while your point is saying this benefits the game on the field, and you're right, it does, it, it totally takes away from the game the off strategy. the field. And sure. right now I, we need to focus on the game with- off the field. I agree that banning the shift makes baseball more entertaining to watch for the casual fan. Totally agree. Um, Larger bases, more stolen bases. We all like stolen bases. Um, Especially John. There's been a huge decline in stolen bases the last decade. Like it's, it's really bad. This year has been a rebound. It's it's been an uptick. It's a little bit of an uptick. Yeah. I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but like, the like kind of 2018 2019 we were getting into a really dark place <laughs> and uh it's starting to make a comeback so i'm happy about that uh and then the 15 second pitch clock i think that's fine um i think pitchers maybe this is just anecdotal but the games that i've watched closely i feel like pitchers are a lot of pitchers are start are just going a little bit quicker than they used to they kind of know this is the direction mm. that the game is going. Um, now, you will still find pitchers that are extremely slow and are just kind of sticking their feet in the mud, like literally. Um, but I think that there's kind of the cultural shift that's happening to where pitchers are kind of like, yeah, I, I'll i admit that we should probably get this going a little faster. So I'm fine with the pitch clock. I think, I mean, you went to a, a single A game, right? Where some of these rules are already implemented. The pitch clock. Yes. Did she go in Portland? Yeah. yeah. So you've a- kind a- of seen it firsthand, yeah. right? And the game was like, what, the game was what, two hours and yeah, 15 the, minutes? Yeah, the game was a lot faster, for sure. So I think that's the goal uh, they're getting to with the pitch clock is uh, it, it's twofold. It's speeding up the game so that you don't have four hour, nine inning games. But for better or for worse, it's also speeding up the pitcher. And if you do that, they make more mistakes, you get more offense. And I think that's another like they're really pushing to make real changes to get more offense, more people all on the base and more people moving on the bases as well. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing they implemented was um, uh, pickoff attempts. You can only have two pickoff attempts per batter and then it's a block after that. It's a block after that? Bach. Oh, Bach. Interesting. Bach, block. I did Bach. not see that. Silly goose um okay i that's okay like so i, into I your, don't feel super strong it goes into your that. thought about you know enlarging the bases well the pickup attempts this is all to help encourage more stolen bases so this all this will be implemented next year 2023 i'll be interested to see how it goes i i mean you're going to see just simply from the shift band um and what that what does that mean it means that you have to have two players uh on either side of second base and they have to have their feet in the dirt they can't be in the grass which is i get but at the same point like even before the shift like players sometimes would line up in the grass 
just like right on the outer edge where the dirt meets the grass. So it'll be interesting to see like how strictly they enforce that. But that just will to, in itself create a ton more offense. Just to spite the MLB, I hope during the playoffs, the teams just do extremely aggressive defensive shifts for the last time. They're like, screw it. This is our last year. We're going <laughs> to show much you. much more extreme? They've had like, they've had shifts where they had four players between second and first base. They have the third baseman go to the outfield to have four outfielders. Like, I don't. I don't know how much more extreme they can practically get. Well, I I, I want to see one last grand finale before they change the rule next year. They might. They might. Uh, Bobby, I'll give you the mic for the Braves segment here because they were in Seattle. You got to see one of those games. They are in Seattle. And there was big news that happened with them on Friday night. Um, so why don't you share what's going on with the Braves and the NL East and the Mariners? Well, it was it was big news for a second. So I went to the Braves Mariners game on Friday night. They got three games set this weekend. My brother is a gigantic Atlanta Braves fan, so he's he's going to all three games. He's been to all three games. So it was just me and him. We got really good seats, and uh, the Braves won that game. They won where the game did, six to four. Where did you sit? We sat down. It's section one forty eight. It's um on third base line left field and we were in row seven so we were like kind of on the field uh i think i, I sent you a video of charlie morton because i know he's your favorite you person did. on the planet so i hope that yeah, excited that you nice. thank you mm-hmm. and uh so good seats uh really good view and the braves won the game six to four the mets lost that day so propelled the braves to first place sole possession of first place for the first time all season after what 200 days so the Braves yeah, finally like 180 or something. Yeah. 200 sounds better. We'll exaggerate. Okay. Let's, let's live for the drama, John. So finally made it back. I mean, the Mets have been one of the best teams in baseball year and all of a sudden they're a second place team, but Braves lost yesterday. The Mets won. So Mets are back in first place by half a game. So it really sets up a really interesting final couple of weeks. I know we've been talking about a little bit, and we've kind of been flip-flopping about it. We're like, yeah, the Mets, I think they're going to hold out. And they were like, no, we think the Braves are going to finally catch up. And I think I've said a couple times, I really feel like the Braves are going to catch up. Well, they finally did, but it's not the end of the story. I mean, there's still 20 games left. They do have a three-game set against each other right at the end of the season. It's the second-to-last series of the season in October. Not I don't big. know if, that'll, if that's going to decide it because... The Mets have a very, very easy schedule the rest of the season. I think the Braves might be the only team they face over 500 the next 20 games, the final 20 games. So I don't know. The Braves are really good and really hot, but just to think about how weak of a schedule the Mets have, like odds are kind of in their favor. But I got to say, if they're close, they're still close. So they're within two games by time the Mets and Braves face each other. I think the Braves could probably take it. I think they are the better team. I think the Braves still, at the end of the day, are a better team, but I'm not 100% sure they're going to win the division based off the Mets' schedule. Yeah. I I think it's also impressive that the Mariners, so the Mariners are up 5-1 on them right now. Mm-hmm. They won last night, like you mentioned. Like, the fact that the Mariners are really uh in it and yeah. maybe winning that series against the Braves with how stacked of a lineup the Braves have is like makes me think the Mariners are fairly legit. Like 
we don't get to see because of the division they play in we don't get to see the mariners play that great of teams every day so um you know it's hard to judge when the mariners have won like 11 in a row against the angels and the rangers and the A's. right <laughs> you know right so the fact that they might win two out of three against the Braves is it's looking good. And I, I will validating. say it's pretty impressive. I mean, Friday, the Braves bats were out. I think they had 12 hits. They scored six runs. And they looked like that high-powered team that was coming in. But yesterday, the Braves only scored one run, I think, off of three hits. And today, they only have one run. So it really is a testament to how good the Mariners pitching is and ultimately in the playoffs like that's what wins you games that's what wins you series is pitching so the fact that the mariners pitching is holding up this well against the braves um it sets the right tone for them and it really shows like yeah they can compete in the american league and i think uh, i'm not going to get ahead of myself here houston's a good team if we get healthy the yankees obviously are going to be really tough Team to get through i really don't think there's another team I, I i know tampa bay and toronto are both scary teams but i just don't think they're as good there is definitely a world where the mariners with the offense that they're clicking but especially with their pitching and bullpen there's a world where there's a path for them to make the world series in the american league i really do see it especially lately and how they're competing against good teams and the pitching that they have i don't think it's a wild opinion to have to say that the mariners could make the world series this year I know it seems they bold, but I just really, you look at it statistically, I don't think it is. Yeah, I won't go that far, but I'll say they might be the second best team in the AL behind the Astros. Right now? Currently, I think they are. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously you could the Yankees see a world where that, the, so. Yeah, you could see a world where the Yankees just kind of can't hit against the Mariners pitching, and it's the Mariners and the Astros, and then the Mariners probably get smacked by the Astros, but... Yeah, that's still progress. I don't I don't think I know after that, whatever 14 game win streak they had, they got absolutely demolished by the Astros. This team, I think, is a better team. I know that wasn't that long ago. This team is a better team than that team. I really don't think if they match up in the playoffs, it'll be a good series. I can't say who's going to win, but the Astros won't sweep them. They're not going to roll over them. I think that's a six game series at least. Right now, currently, as a team stand, because the Astros have been kind of up and down lately, as all teams do. You know, your struggles don't define your team as a whole, and neither do your your win streaks. However, this is the end of the year, and how you end the season really does matter. And I think how the Mariners are ending and how the Astros are ending, I really think they're at a more even playing field than people give them credit. I feel like it. we'll talk about him more later, but I feel like the vibes of Julio Rodriguez have been a big part of this yeah 100 percent, um, absolutely him them signing like him, just his yes obviously his his production on the field is great but like i think he's it's just like there's a different aura around that team than there has been agreed May, maybe since ichiro or maybe a little we talked about this last week i think like felix was he would have really exciting dominant games but like he just never had a team effect around him. on the locker room yeah julio's got a team around him so. and he's really young and he's in the lineup he's every already, day. He's already like kind of setting the example for the older guys. He gives that so, team and a Mitch lot. Hanager being back Great. has been big. Yeah, I agree with that too. So, anyways, yeah, the Mariners are, I think, really are the real deal. They're a very good team, and they're proving that in the series against the Braves. 
So we thought that uh, since we're a little less than a month out, we are due for another month out from the end of the season, I should say. We are due for a check-in on our season awards for individual performances. So MVP, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young in both AL and NL. We did this probably around the trade deadline. Back, Something like that. I think, like that. I think it was. I think it was July. I think you're right. And I don't think the names on this list really have changed that much. I think it's just that they have solidified themselves. And then some of the races have gotten a little closer. So we'll start with MVP in the AL. I think that I kind of used betting sites to look at who's like the top five in each award. And the top two for AL MVP are Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. Aaron Judge, I'll just go through the stats of both. He has an 8.8 war. He has a he's batting over 300 with a 1.095 OPS, 16 stolen bases. I that has totally flown under the radar for me. Uh, and then he, he has gets, 55 he home runs, 55 home runs, which is um, I don't know where it ranks in the last 20 years, but it's one of the top 10, I think, um, home run see individual home run numbers in the Giancarlo Stanton hit 59 millennium. in 2017. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a graphic this week where it showed everyone since the year 2000 um, that has hit over 50, and there's not a lot. There's like eight people, something like that. And and this is Judge's second time on that list. He hit 52 mm-hmm. in 2016. Yep. And then Shohei Otani, eight war, 265 batting average, 884 OPS, 33 home runs. But because he's a pitcher as well, 188 strikeouts in 141 innings pitched and a 2.65 ERA. So you can't just look at him in a vacuum with with his hitting stats. You got to consider how dominant of a pitcher he's been and how god awful of a team he plays on. Um, it's it was Aaron Judge's like to lose a couple months ago, but I, you know Shohei has put up really similar numbers at this point to his MVP season to where like you have to start asking that question of like, well, if we gave him the MVP with very, very similar stats previously, how can we say he's not a contender this year? I mean, certainly there's a lot of people that say there's no question. He's the MVP. It's Shohei because he pitches. He's dominant hitter. He's dominant pitcher. It's not a competition. And I think there's merit to that. And I think, we talked about in July. I think I was giving it to Shohei because of that. But Aaron Judge could set the American League oh, here we record go. for home runs, here we go. which is historic. Okay, so he could hit 60. I don't know. He's at 55 right now. So you put all the stats there. So let's talk about let's talk about Judge real quick. He's got an 8.8 war. He's batting 307 right now. 1095 OPS, your 55 home runs. So he, what we had 20 games left. If he hits 62, 63 home runs and he breaks the American League record by Roger Maris, which is 61 home runs, okay, he sets history. So you have that going for him. Obviously, his war is higher than Shohei. So you want to go off of that. But another piece, too, as a Yankees fan that's just been in misery over the last six weeks, the only reason. That we've even, I, I hesitate to say, to say that we've stayed above water, but the only reason we haven't sunk into the Marianas Trench 
is because of Aaron Judge. So when you look at stats for MVP, he passes that. But when you look at literally what MVP stands for, which is most valuable player, the Yankees are only in the position they are right now because of Aaron Judge. He has single-handedly carried them to be survive to survive. I'm not gonna say we've been successful six weeks, but we're surviving. And the only reason, our only lifeline there has been Aaron Judge. So when you talk about most valuable player, it's got it's gotta be him. And as good as Shohei Otani is, Angels are nearly 20 games below 500. And I and I know that your team record isn't always an indicator of that. I don't think that's fair, but I do think it has you have to take that into account. And so that's why I think right now, especially if Judge hits 60 plus home runs, he has he's got to be MVP. He has to be. Yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate. If you gave it to Shohei with identical stats before, how can you not do it again? Now there's like because Aaron Judge wasn't having the season he was when he won MVP last year. That's why. Yeah. Well, you could argue, you know, um, Vladimir Guerrero. Um, if Vlad hit 60 home runs, I I think that I would lean Judge. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I want to. You mentioned uh, wins above replacement. I just want to go on a little tangent here. I looked at the top 10 leaders right now, and it is a really funky list, actually. Um, there's one team, I want you to guess the team, that has three of the top 10 war leaders in the league. The Angels. No. Damn it. I was thinking Trout, Shohei, maybe somebody else. Okay, don't... Maybe the Dodgers with nope. like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Julio Urias. I don't know. It's the Cardinals. Oh, that with, makes and, that makes sense. And we'll talk about this. But it's Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and who's the other one? Position. It's not Albert. Position Poole. player or <laughs> position player. Position player. Mm-hmm. It's a really random name. I don't Tommy know. Edmund. I, you didn't even let me answer. I was going to say Tommy Edmund. I was literally <laughs> saying I was like this, Tommy, and you're like Tommy Edmund. I was going to uh, guess Tommy Edmund. He, He's fourth and more. In oh, that's league. crazy. Really I didn't know wild. that. I mean, he's good, but I didn't realize that he was so high up there in his war. And then the other really random name uh, that we've, I don't think we've named him all year, is Andres Jimenez. Oh. I guess we talked about him. Talking uh, about on, the, for on the, the Guardians? Guardians, yeah. Speaking of Guardians, so, anyway, they are just a fun wiping pack. the floor with the Twins, running away with that division. Well, not that division, but they are burying the Twins season. By the way, yeah, the Twins had a big test this week against the Yankees to like, okay, can you hold your ground? And they just did not pass that test at all. Yeah, we won three out of four, and we really should have won that fourth game against them too. So we should have swept all four games. But to your point, they didn't pass that test, and now they're getting. I mean, it's they're getting swept by the Guardians, who was the team they're trailing in that division. And none of the games were really close. The nail in the coffin. Yeah, it really is. And the White Sox. Again, the team that just won't die is uh, they're right there. They're right there with the Guardians. I mean, we're living in a world that the the White Sox could easily win that division still, which is crazy to me. So NL MVP, we've already mentioned their names, but Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Austin Riley. Listen, I can't believe you didn't put Austin Riley in there. Uh, Everyone's listening to us for a long time knows we're huge fans of uh, Goldie and Arenado. Yes. They both have a 7.3 war, which is funny that they're on the same team. They're 
the top two leaders for this award and they have the same war. Um, but like, so Goldie 325 batting average, 35 home runs and just over 1000 OPS. Arenado 298 batting average, 28 home runs and a 908 OPS. So his defense is really what's boosting that war up. Uh, I mean, obviously the offensive numbers are good, but like that, that's not his best offensive output like he back when he was in colorado this would have been like a eh season for him i mean uh, which is crazy yeah but uh and then would you want to say austin riley's stats i did not i i i passed him up i'm sorry i love austin riley he really he, he has a 5.5 war that's significantly lower if you're just using war as your I think people too much emphasis on war. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but there are other ways to measure a player other than war. And I don't think baseball Twitter understands that. They're like, look at the war. Look at the F war. That's it. That's the only thing that matters. It's war. Like, no. He has a 35 home runs, 282 batting average, and a 906 OPS. So he's like, there's nowhere he's he's nowhere close to Goldschmidt in my opinion. But he, I'm not saying he is, but he's in the you're conversation. Right that, yeah, you're right that like between him and Arenado, their stats are pretty similar. You know, Arenado has the edge on batting average, but Riley has the edge on home runs. So I will say we'll with Goldie, we were talking about him winning the triple crown. It looks like that that might not happen. He still has absolutely potential to do it but it everybody's closed the gap on him he's two i think two home runs back from the home run leader he is now trailing freddie freeman by i think eight points in batting average and he's tied with pete alonzo for rbis so he's still one two in all of those categories i'm just not 100 percent sure he's going to catch up on the home run side and freddie freeman is is just raking right now and it seems like goldschmidt's his, his average is starting to dip a little bit. So we might not see him win the triple crown, but he certainly is going to be either one or two in those categories. So it's kind of disappointing that he won't do that, but he's certainly, like you said, he's not, nobody's close to him. He is the MVP. Like there is no debate. He's the MVP. That, uh, that points out like the contrast between AL home runs and NL home runs. Like, yes, judges leading the AL with 55. The next closest is Kyle Schwarber with 37. Like, I don't know if I've seen a yeah. gap that big. Yeah, I mean, that's top. another big story about Judge is that, I mean, he has essentially, like, what, 40% more home runs than the next guy? So that's pretty crazy. But it also, it also sh- like, is a signal, like, 37 is pretty low for the next best guy. Like, Well, again, you're bringing that up. Recent that's years. a good point, too. We talked about this. You know, we we're talking about all these rule changes and we need to increase offense. League average in Major League Baseball this year is at 243, which is like the lowest in the last like 40 years. So you talk about home runs, seeing them down. That's another part of that, that home runs are down again. Which even makes Judge's season more impressive because of that. For sure. All right. So we're going to go with Judge and Goldschmidt. Yes, I like that. that. I like those votes. Okay. Rookie of the year, uh, AL, it doesn't, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. It's Julio Rodriguez. Uh, I'd put good money on that, uh, especially with like how good the team is playing. I, that, I feel like that um, 
should weigh on these awards. Maybe not as much on rookie of the year, but like your team needs to have a good record for you to win these awards. Um, and then, and like the difference between how they were last year to this year, like Julio's just made a huge difference for the Mariners. 275 batting average, 823 OPS. He has 24 home runs and 24 steals. He's really slowed down his stolen bases. Maybe that's because they're... They signed a contract. They, that's why. Well, and because they're going to be in the playoffs. Signed and contract. Like, we can't have you injured. It's a, maybe don't do that as much. Um, Because he had like 18 in like early June or I feel like. I, I think he had, I'd have he to had look like at nine the in the month. first couple weeks. So he was on yeah, a... He's really slowed yeah, down. Yeah, he's slowed down. Um, but he should be like a 30-30 guy next season. He will be, 100%. Uh, He's a 44 I don't think he'll guy, get maybe. there. I mean, we're talking about increased stolen base percentage with the larger bases and pickoff attempts. Yeah. He could easily bring back a 40-40 season. I think he is that guy. I don't think he'll get to 30-30 this year. No, but, um, no, I don't think so either. I'd be but shocked. But next year, he should. That's like, if if you're a betting person, you should put money yeah, on him. absolutely. 30-30. Um, and then the runner up is for the AL based on betting is Adley Rushman, who I didn't even put his stats on because they're nowhere close they're not. to Julio. And he really doesn't have uh, that great of stats, but like the effect that he's had on that clubhouse has been yeah. like like um sort of looking for here. It's it's just been very big positive impact on that team. I think it's a little like not to take credit away from Julio because he's great, but the AL rookies have been pretty disappointing yeah. overall. Yep. Like when you think of Spencer Torkelson, mm-hmm. you think of Bobby Witt Jr. Yep. Like we thought, we thought that this was going to be at least a little more competitive than it's been. Agreed. And it hasn't been competitive yeah, at all. I think so. I think Bobby Witt's had an okay season. He's it's decent, but mm-hmm. Spencer Torkelson is like what, like he's is he even in the major leagues anymore I, I saw him i saw him hit a home run this week like nothing he's just been a ghost yeah um that whole detroit all of detroit's young players it's been rough they were supposed to show something this year and they just haven't really um nl is closer two guys again on the same team spencer strider we've talked about him a lot 10 and 4 starting pitcher 10 and four record, 120 innings pitched, 183 strikeouts. Whew. So that's a 13.6 K per nine, 2.69 ERA and 0.97 whip. That is like, like contention for Cy Young numbers, yeah. not just rookie of the year numbers. Agreed. The innings pitched is going to limit him from being getting a Cy Young. Like if he was at, at 150, 160, it'd be better. But um, an incredible season for a rookie pitcher. You don't see that every year i mean the braves got to be excited by having max freed spencer strider kyle wright pretty pretty dangerous three-headed beast right there spencer strider can be yeah. the best he i mean he's got the grom like stuff when he when you look at it, he just got he has a fastball and a slider there's fastball about 100 you can probably get there with 101 and he's just filthy and he locates he locates that fastball he just paints it over the plate on the knees anywhere he's going to be an absolutely dominant pitcher i know probably not going to happen but we could see a world where jacob Degrom's in that rotation too he's going to opt out his contract and one of the places that he's heavily favored to go is the braves i don't know if the braves will actually pay him whatever 50 million dollars a year that he's going to want 
the Braves just aren't that team. They don't show out money like that, but you know, it could happen. Man, inner division switch. That would be crazy. It would be. Um, and then the runner up also a brave. We mentioned him before, Michael Harris, 309 batting average, 16 home runs and 16 stolen bases in 92 games. So he's he'll finish the season slightly above half games played. So that means he should be a 25-25 guy next year. I think he's a 30-30 um, guy at some point too. You're talking about Julio. Yeah. I think So I watched I was telling you this before we started recording, but I was seeing Michael Harris. We showed up early for batting practice. He put a ball into the upper portion of the third deck in right field at T-Mobile Park. Like, he has pop. And he got, I think, a couple hits that night. He really passes the eye test. He's very quick. He's a good defender. Not only does he have pop, but like you said, he's 307. He's a good hitter. He goes the other way. And, you know, Cunha, obviously, is MVP caliber. He's coming back off that ACL injury. He's just still not his full self, so we're not seeing the best version of him right now. But obviously, Cunha is a just generational talent. Austin Riley has been in the MVP conversation the last two seasons. These are the two big young studs of the Braves. I really feel like there's a world where Michael Harris could be the best player on that team at some point. And I think they saw it, and that's why they extended him. He's really, really good. But I do think Spencer Strider is still probably rookie of the year. Yeah, I was looking at um, the the roster for the Braves today and they're just so loaded. Um mm, they are. I don't know, when is when is their second baseman Ozzy supposed to come back? Soon. Is I think he he's started his playoffs? rehab assignment, I think within the next week or two. But so if they can get something out of him for the playoffs, then they really don't have a weak position. They don't. Opinion. And I was telling you this too. They have this the guy they just brought up, Von Grissom. He's I think he's batting the last 10 games or so. He's only been up for a, two weeks maybe. He's batting like 350 and he's got five home runs. And so he's been somebody that's it's not a, it's not weak. You know what I mean? Like they're still getting a lot of strength mm-hmm. and um, a lot of uh, God, I'm, I'm having a hard time with my vocabulary today. He's doing good. He's not weak at that position. They don't have a weakness right now at any position. He's he's doing exactly what they need him to do. Even if they don't win that division, I think. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the NL should be terrified of the Braves because they could be better than they were last year. I I think they are better. They are definitely better than they were last year. Either way, the Mets and Braves, you're looking at two teams that are going to win 100 games, I think. Um, We just don't know who's going to win that division yet. Yeah. Last award, Cy Young. Um, AL, I don't think it's personally close, and that's not bias. That's just science, Bobby. It's science. Uh, just, okay. <laughs> Justin Verlander, 16 and three record. And he would be at 20 wins if they didn't rest him. He's dealing with a little tweak injury. Uh, I forget which body part, but he's missed, I think. Last, last couple two starts. starts. Yeah. He has a 1.84 ERA, 0.85 whip. And the only weird thing we talked about this all year is that his strikeouts are he has nine k per nine so he's basically at um you know just striking out once per inning and that's something that even not just young verlander but even like the verlander of a couple years ago was one of the best strikeout pitchers in the game 
And ever since he's come back from this injury, he's just, he's not been that impressive in terms of strikeouts Mm -hmm. compared to his old self, but like he's limiting runs as good as he ever has. So it's working for him. I mean, you just said a 1.84 ERA. There's not, what more do you have to say? I mean, that's insane. Anything that's sub two is, it's, it's almost unheard of. I mean, it does happen. Of course it happens, but mm-hmm. you just can't yeah. emphasize how good. And this isn't a guy that he like he's a workhorse still, even after his injury. He's gonna give you seven, maybe eight innings. And his ERA is like like you said, one eight four. So every time he pitches, if you score two runs, you're thinking, Well, we won the game. We won the game. Mm-hmm. And you just can't buy that value. I was um, looking for like historical context for a one eight four ERA for Cy Young, and it 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 actually popped up more than I thought. Mm-hmm. Like a sub two ERA popped up more than I expected, but it doesn't happen every year. No, it's, it's kind of like an every other year. Kind of like fifty kinda, home runs, roughly. You know, in this day and age, like that really just doesn't happen often. But when it does, you take notice. I think what Zach yeah. Greinke might have been the last guy that was a sub two. Him or Jake Arrieta? I think there was a year that Zach Greinke had like a 1.6 ERA, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, Honorable mentions, Dylan Cease, 14 and 6 with a 2.06 ERA, 1.07 whip. So that's very different than Justin Verlander's 0.85 whip. But he has 206 strikeouts in 162 innings pitched. So he's got a big edge on strikeouts. But um, it's kind of a miracle that Dylan Cease has those dominant of starts on such an awful White Sox team. Yeah, I mean, there is a like, world. Good, good for him. Dude, there's a world there, too, that without him, the White Sox aren't in contention. And right now they are. I think they're only a game and a half back from first place. So Because like, everybody for- else, you take that Giolito, he's absolutely terrible season. I don't even know what Michael Kopech's doing. Cueto's been decent for them. I think he's been kind of a saving grace to be able to like sign him month into the season and get the production out of Cueto that they've gotten, I think has been huge, but the Dylan Cease has just been their one constant and their offense has not been there. And it finally is. So it'll be really interesting to see how the White Sox finish the season. But I think Dylan Cease is a big piece of why they are where they are right now. He's a really good pitcher. And I think without Verlander having an historic season, he's your Cy Young winner. Mm-hmm. 14 and six that good. that's impressive really good for any team but especially for such a, a team that struggled um and then the two others that were on the list they actually had uh shohei as the third and maybe that's like a consolation prize if he doesn't win mvp um you know 188 strikeouts and 141 innings pitched and a 265 era but um you know the guy that has better staff than that is Shane Omack in Tampa Bay Rays, who also has not been pitching as much recently. Uh, 11 and 5 with a 2.2 ERA, 0.86 whip, 182 strikeouts. So he he has slowed down in terms of like the counting stats, but the ERA has not gone up at all. So just wanted to give him an honorable mention. He's injured right now, unfortunately, so that doesn't help him. Yeah. And then uh, in the NL, we've got 
Sandy. Sandy. Alcantara mm-hmm. should, I think, should walk away with it. 12 and 7 record for a bad Marlins team. Um, 2.43 ERA, a whip just above one, and 177 strikeouts in 196 innings pitched. That was something that I was surprised. I didn't remember him being under um, a strikeout per inning earlier in the season. Maybe he was, but he's like Verlander. He's been effective without the strikeouts. I mean, 177 strikeouts is still great. I think he is right now, but I do think that it's funny because you don't have it as an honorable mention. You don't have, have him as an honorable mention. Um, Zach Allen. I mean, I really think that the way Zach Allen's finishing the season, he could totally sneak in there. I, I don't think that's out of the question. He, you talk about his stats. He has, he's got a 0.91 whip, 157 innings pitched, and a 2.51 ERA. So when you look at Alcantara, stats aren't that much different. I mean, he's got an 11 2 record as well. I don't know. 161 strikeouts. Yeah, he's right there. It's almost he's almost has the same stat line as Alcantara. So if if Alcantara ends the season on a couple bad starts and Zach Allen keeps doing what he's doing, there's a world here where he wins the Cy Young. Yeah. Uh, do the Diamondbacks have a better record than the Marlins? Uh, that is something I do not know. Because that that could be if if it's really close, that could be something that sways the vote um so the marlins are at 57 and 82 and the diamondbacks are at 65 and 73 they are better they have a better record diamondbacks um for how untalented that roster is they have an okay record they have such good pitching yeah i mean you have that good pitching you're you're gonna win games because even if your offense isn't scoring that much if the other offense isn't scoring anything well you're gonna win Yep. And then uh, all the Philly fans are probably screaming at me because I haven't mentioned Aaron Nola. So Aaron Nola has 200 strikeouts. So he's fifth in the league in strikeouts um, in 177 innings with a 0.97 whip. But his ERA at 3.35 is quite a bit higher. Yeah, but it's not bad, but it's a little higher up. That's that's the because you brought that up because that's the betting favorites of betting odds is for him. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Why? He's not having a bad season, but I certainly don't look at his stat line and be like, yeah, that's a Cy Young candidate right there. I I don't know. I feel like um, maybe last year. Maybe this is just maybe this is just who I listen to on podcasts and stuff. But I feel like Aaron Nola is just very much loved in the uh, like pitching community. <laughs> Not not necessarily like other players in the league, sure. but I guess like people that cover the league, they just love Aaron Nola so much. I, and I'm like, eh, it's good, fine. but like, I'm sorry, he's not a Cy Young Award candidate this year. He's just not. He's not. His record's also nine and eleven. So it's if you're below five hundred, I don't think you're gonna win Cy Young. That's weird. Whoever you're listening to needs to get a reality check. Uh, and the, what's interesting is the top three leaders in strikeouts are not betting favorites for the Cy Young, at least just on the website that I saw. So Garrett Cole at 218, he has a 3-2 ERA. Corbin Burns at 214 with a 2-9 ERA. 
He's up there. Maybe he deserves to be. He deserves conversation. Yeah. And then Carlos Rodon, twelve and eight, two point nine three ERA and a one hundred five WHIP. Can you believe they didn't trade him? He's going to opt out. Why didn't they trade him? He's just sitting on the Giants, being mediocre with that season. Maybe they're maybe they're confident he'll come back. I don't think he will. Because he did, he got what a two year forty four million dollar deal. He's going to be able to go out and get more than twenty two million a year. If he opts out after see this season, but you better believe it. You want to know something crazy about? I'm looking at the strikeout list. Charlie Morton is tenth in the league in strikeout. Your boy Charlie Isn't Morton, that wild. He's like a million years old, and he's 10th in strikeouts. He gave up the longest home run I've ever seen in a game on Friday night to Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana okay. hit it off the face of the third deck. I've never seen, in real life, I've never seen a home run hit that far. Yeah, so Charlie Morton is 38 years old. It's old man Charlie. Wild. Anyway, anything else you got? Or, or I'm sorry, would you agree with Justin Verlander and Sandy? Uh, I mean, I agree with Justin Verlander as of right now. I agree with Sandy, but I do think there's a real possibility that Zach Allen leapfrogs him by the end of the year. So yeah, just been to a be big Zach Allen believer all year, just to be spicy, I'm going to say by the end of the year, Zach Allen is the front runner for Cy Young. Okay. That's where I'm sitting there. I just still have. You know, I, I can't change like you said. I can't deal with change very well. And I still have these <laughs> images of Zach Gallon being bad, uh, which wasn't that long ago. So well, he's not bad now. Change. People do change. Thank you. You finally said it. I'm proud of you. That's progress. Progress, John. Um, no, I don't really have anything else to add. The Mariners are kind of having their way with the Braves today. It's six to one. My poor brother sitting in the stands is watching a beatdown. Sorry, Barry. Only seventh inning, so anything could happen. Odds for making the playoffs are like 99.4%. It's going to happen. And the the Yankees, got to mention, going to win the series against the Rays, which is huge. We scored 10 runs the last two games against the Rays pitching. Very, very good for us since our offensive has been historically bad. I think this will help out a lot. Um, so that'll push our lead back to five and a half games, which is not exactly comfortable, but it's it could have been worse. If we got swept, it would have been a game and a half. So, you know, that's two sides of the coin. So happy we finally won that a series against the Rays. And then we win the season series 11-8 against the Rays, and that's it. So it sets us off to a good tone for the rest of the season, and hopefully we can hang on and we can survive. There you go. A nice optimistic note to end on. Yeah, different than last week, right? <laughs> yeah, the world's not... Well, the world is kind of on fire, but not in your head. Well, it's not smoldering, at least. All right, well, we will be back next week, one week closer to the playoffs. That's right. Um, and, yeah, got a lot going on. A lot of sports. Lots of sports. All right, everybody, enjoy your week. Follow us, Instagram, Twitter, at Thorpe Theories, John at Yankee Six is me. Toodles. All right. Talk to you later, folks.